a little bit. Man. How are you? Um, should we should we not say how long it's been, and maybe people won't notice? There's so many other exciting things going on in the Bitcoin crypto world. I'm sure everybody is just enthralled with all the news, uh, good and bad. That uh, yeah, didn't need our commentary, but um, we're back at it. Yeah, in the middle in the middle of the bull number go up technology. All my buddies from, uh, you know, multiple chats about Bitcoin and pricing and stuff. And it's just so funny how the activity of the chats just <laughs> skyrockets with the price. So, yeah, good to be back on as well, chatting about this stuff. Do we think something's actually catalyzing it? Because it's also, it's just kind of about that time. And so people point to whatever's happening at about that time every four years. And they're like, oh, it was X. But you know, it, it also just seems like, like we're in that point in the cycle. Yeah. I think we're just coming back to it. I mean, uh, you know, having coming up here in April, April, May, and, um, usually of course the price in the historical four cycles has exploded after that, but, um, we sort of, uh, we sort of broke that early on the last cycle as well, you know, going up uh, at the start of 2021 rather than the end of it. People um, buying Bitcoin for Christmas. So it's kind of the... People buying Bitcoin for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did we all say with the reason it started going up again last time? There was some catalyst. I just meme stocks what. and trading, uh, people online and thinking there even even uh, uh taleb even to seem yeah, right. oh it's time for bitcoin uh and he was like complaining as he always does and he was complaining about some coinbase problem it was clear he like first time he tried looking at it and then like two months later he wrote his manifesto on why bitcoin wasn't going to work um mm. so yeah it's this it's amazing he has time between all his weightlifting posts I haven't even on. I haven't even tracked him in a while, but if he's still doing the same thing, then it's it, it probably fake that, news but. or stupid anyway. But I I read somewhere recently like that. I think it's Dubai wants to acquire like a massive amount of Bitcoin, which is more than in, in circulation right now. Oh, Qatar, yeah, and, uh, oh, and Qatar. that drives the price. But yeah, doubtful. Um. So someone. Someone kind of like had the, the good explainer on that, which was the rumor was they wanted to buy like $500 billion right. worth of Bitcoin, but their entire sovereign wealth fund has like $40 billion in it. So. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's that. a big Delta. Um, I mean, yeah. the Norwegians have a trillion roughly. It's probably a little bit more at the moment. Yeah. I, I and that, that don't quote me on the numbers, but there was like, you know, what was yeah. possibly available and uh, what was rumored. But there was, someone did go visit Bukele. Was it the Qataris as well? I didn't follow it. Yeah, I just saw it. That it was like this week or last week. Someone from the Gulf States was over. Uh, I just saw him tweeting recently that they, they are finally up in their investment. So. 
They said they were buying uh, one Bitcoin a day for a while. I don't know if he kept up with that, but if he did, uh, that would be a very good move. Uh, yeah. What do you guys make of his um, crackdown on crime? <laughs> Michelle? <laughs> uh, I don't know with this kind of regime if you can really say anything about it. Like, what is news, what is not. It's kind of... it, it, it looks yeah. better than, I mean, than it used to, so, yeah. Is, isn't, it like, isn't it, like, time for re-election soon? And he's, they only have a one-term thing, right? So that was his plan, was to try to switch it to go again, as well as all the other judicial things, but... I imagine the truth somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, probably uh, certain members of the population and I'm sure immigrants as well, whether they be connected to Bitcoin or not, are happy that if you're cutting down crime and, but the deal that you're making there, how you're making that, or, you know, for all sorts of wild things with the gangs down there or whatnot. I mean, obviously it's well out of my pay grade and I, I don't know. There's certainly a lot of human rights watch organizations that are, questioning that this whole thing over the last couple of years so i don't know what do you think alec yeah it's um it's a successful marketing campaign for sure uh and they're very good i mean punching way above their weight at sending a global message it's really that i think on that note they're key in particular and i'm sure there's a you know social media mechanism behind them are fantastic at messaging um yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, pictures of rows and rows of, you know, tatted up gangbangers in a prison yard that that sells well in a crime ridden country. Um, I, I also would be a little bit curious and how that was implemented. And uh, you could probably have a philosophical argument about, well, did they sweep up 10% of those people who were, you know, not guilty of anything, but just standing on the wrong street corner, had the wrong friends? but crime was reduced by 70%, what's the greater good, right? Like you could, that's a really dispassionate type of conversation to have about actual people. Um, and he seems to be in the camp of, you know, whatever the greater good is, is yeah. justified. At least that's how he presents yeah. his actions, right? Um, but I do think it's interesting, especially, you know, living in a US city that is, you know, has an ascendant crime problem um and your, your visceral instinct is like we just got to be super tough on crime and prosecute everything and put everyone in jail uh and that pendulum swings until everyone you know you over criminalize and then people get into the type of mindset that got us here uh but it doesn't seem to stay in the middle like the balance point yeah that's the uh, kamala harris view isn't it <laughs> yeah well it's like you know a lot of mayors have been elected on platforms like that. A lot of district attorneys have stayed in power on platforms like that, but it seems to be running its course. I don't think yeah. people like it. Um, but it, it really, that sort of softer, like rehabilitative yeah. approach to crime, you know, it's sold well and it's a nice idea. Super nice idea. Um, I don't think it was implemented very well. Well, I think the, I mean, it's backing up a little bit or, or back, you know, backing out of the situation. But the wild thing 
for me just watching this year and I'm sure you guys are feeling the same is just with all of the global conflicts that are you know escalating or continuing like you know Ukraine and now Israel and you have Argentina really being shaken up economically uh yeah Guyana. and you have yeah and in the Southeast Asian area as well of course um the interesting thing is this sort of natural tendency to want to embrace nationalism, populism, shoring up, you know, your resources, shoring up your authorities, making sure everything is sort of uh, buttoned up. And it's just a wild thing. I mean, my dad always told me this is like exactly not, not comparing to this situation right now, but what happened in the 19, like 20s, 30s en route to World War II in Europe in particular was just everybody there were all sorts of nationalists, quasi-dictatorial governments. Like here in Eastern Europe, we had this guy, Carlos Ullmann. I mean, he was basically a benevolent dictator, but he took over the democratic government after a couple of presidents, prime ministers. And um, you know, I don't know in Poland, Michelle, if you know what was happening, but there's a, there was a lot of them. I mean, obviously, you know, leading up to the main ones in, uh, in, in Soviet Russia and Nazi Germany, but even in all the other countries that had this like just groundswell of nationalism. And it, obviously we know where that all ended up. So it is, it is kind of a scary thing that literally a hundred years later, we're sort of singing this tune again. It's definitely going in a, in a weird direction. Like I, I spoke with a friend in the Netherlands. He's a French national in the Netherlands. And he said jokingly, like I'm backing because of the far right uh, new election results. So yeah, we will see a Netherland exit after the Brexit. Uh... Yeah, it's funny because you know, I don't know. I think a lot of Bitcoiners probably enjoy that shaking that up. They think that there's something that's going to be good coming out of that, and I, I can empathize with a lot of those feelings, especially when you're talking about. You know, going back to the U.S., just the left wing might be as, just as corrupt as the right. and uh, The debt increases no matter the party and all that stuff. The money depreciates no matter the party. But uh, I don't know, just being over here, maybe it's just more sensitive to it. But it's like we don't even worry about all of the, the woke stuff or whatever the flavor of the month is that's kind of anger, angering people like Joe Rogan or Douglas Murray or Jordan Peterson. And I do enjoy listening to a lot of that commentary, but you know, that, there's a, I find a lot of Bitcoiners like that. That's getting angry about, you know, some, uh, man who is swimming in the, for ladies, ladies competitions and stuff, which is definitely, I mean, that's a problem I would say in certain uh, cultural things in the West, but all of those issues that people talk about, it's just like, over here, it's just nothing when you're talking about real war. You know, he's talking about what's going on in Israel, talking about what's going on in Ukraine. Um, like, it's it's just wild to me that people aren't considering these as like major humanitarian things that need to be addressed. And you know, looks like the U.S. may pull back funding for Ukraine and. Uh, that's obviously very disheartening for those of us that appreciate borders on this part of the world. Yeah, well, they're making it a border 
issue here, right? Whether the funding goes through. Um, so the new speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, which, you know, he, one of his platforms was closing the Southern border and he knows that Ukraine is like the main leverage point right now. So it, it's politically expedient for sure. I find interesting parallels too, between what's happening in Israel and Ukraine. I mean, like DeSantis, for example, I mean, he wanted to throttle Ukraine and then what happened with everything that happened in Israel, it's like the message was complete 180. And there's definitely an inconsistency there. If people can't see it from the far right of saying that you want to not support Ukraine, but you do want to support Israel. I mean, I definitely think Israel should be supported and defend itself. I know that that's a whole topic, but we, we, we haven't commented on any of that, right? Uh, over the, the last two months. And that's a huge, uh, thing that needs to be solved. But I mean, if you just want to talk about, you know, sovereign territories being respect, uh, respected and not having people invade your territory, which Israel did have done to them. I just, I think it's a wild inconsistency that some Republicans think, well, okay, let's, uh, let's focus on Israel only, but Ukraine, we need to back up on. And I don't know, this is a more US centric thing, Michelle, maybe you don't, uh, we can we can move away from this topic. But I just think that this is like the reality of the world, like, you're, you're gonna have interests that need to be defended if you're a liberal democracy or a liberal country in the proper way to use the liberal world you just you have you're going to have to defend borders and rights at some point and this stuff is just i don't know for us it's really scary over here again going back to my own selfish reasons but i don't i don't really see a leader in the, any party in the u.s that can kind of you know like a ronald reagan type character or even an FDR type character, which, you know, when he went, his the body was barely cold and they introduced two term limits. So there's a lot of things going on <laughs> in these, in these analyses. But yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's it, to me, it's, it's really a massive rise of authoritarianism. And like, I can't believe that some people even think that's a good thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. I, I, I think the Israel, the support for Israel being, um, different from the support for Ukraine boils down to the fact that Israel has forever played U.S. politics in a very savvy way um, via, you know, support for APAC and, uh, you know, yeah. donations. Um, and good on them, right? They're not breaking any rules. They just realize that they have a vested interest in having a U.S. ally and their self-interest is in having as much leverage yeah. with that ally as possible. And I yeah. would do the same thing if I were them. Um, but that they've been doing that for a really long time. So yeah, this is not surprising. That's how you get three carrier groups. Yeah. It's wild. Was, uh, was Poland having a, uh, crisis in the, in the constitution, uh, leading up to world war two, Michelle, do you, I have no idea at all. I mean, I know that obviously they were, they suffered the most uh, at the beginning uh, from all sides. You know, the Nazis invaded them on September 1st, 39. The Soviets invaded them on September 17th. And it's just got, you know, the Polish story is, is a very enlightening one, I think, for just havoc breaking loose. And by the way, it was home for like a ma the massive... Uh, home of world Jewry even for a thousand years 
think there was something like 100,000 Jews fought for Poland against mm. the Nazis in the first month, 1939. So it's just, it's a lot of, I don't know, in my view, there's a lot of intersection there between lessons from history and what we can see now. But uh, I just don't see anybody rising to the occasion and if get like a Trump character in. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a big expert on a recent Polish history and, uh, and early Polish history is room for debate uh, at home all the time because of my wife's origins. So. <laughs> That's not settled yet. <laughs> Yep. Pol- well, that's where I am as well. I mean, the Poland, Lithuania, Belarus, and Ukraine. Uh, interestingly, these sort of middle lands of Europe between the West, Western empires and the Eastern empire of Russia have always been fought over. And yeah. Unfortunately, we're still seeing that. Anyway, is that enough geopolitics? We, we could, could go on forever about that. We could. <laughs> talk about we could. I got the old, uh, I got the old percentile bands uh with the, with the power regression trend lineup can you guys see this on screen nice are we gonna get a price uh, prediction yeah that's what everyone really wants so and, and actually i did a <laughs> i did a short on this uh a couple weeks ago and people were saying again we don't need to talk about that past we want to see what these look in the future so yeah this is up to uh a couple days ago drawn it's gonna be drawn on pricing action as of december 5th so three days ago as of this recording uh even when the price is about the same, so 40, although I haven't checked in the last hours, it can always be volatile. What is it? Is it 43? Like yes, it's a little bit down today, right? from this level. But what you notice here, and if you look back all the way to the FTX bankruptcy and whatnot, we're like really in undervalued, oversold territory. So when you get to that red band, that's a two standard deviation move down. Even like with this ripping in price, we're not even back to the trend line. So I think that's always important to follow that. So the trend line itself, $61,000, said 95% R squared, which is like really, really strong. This is why I'm not a fan of technical analysis. I just like this, just draw this trend line. And yeah, if price is below this black line, the line will go down. This is not a plan B, you know, rigid stock to flow analysis. It's just a standard statistical percentile uh, a power regression and so if if the price is below it it will pull it down if the price is above that black line it will pull it up but generally it's been around this level since 2016 the black band so it's pretty interesting i think and yeah we're in like normal territory we're above the one standard deviation down so that's at thirty thousand dollar bitcoin so anything between those blue lines is two-thirds of the time pricing action based on this uh, multiple so it's like we're just back you know it took us a year to get out of it year and a half but we're back to normal normal levels and we're not even at the the trend line so that's the first point yeah. you want me to predict so strong <laughs> I want to predict out so the having we mentioned uh may april let's say the trend line shows 71,000. Again, this is just beautiful number grow up technology, right? <laughs> so, 71,000 is the trend line. Uh, one sigma up, which would be big pump is 160,000. Two sigma up 480,000. And then mm-hmm. if you go out, say a year after the having, which would be our old uh, four cycle analysis, 
Um, right? Am I right on that? It would be 2024. 
the main point, which I always say, is that this this black line has been pretty. If you look at all the year end trends, it's been pretty much the same since 2016. And before it, it was way up. Like the 2010 trend was, you know, you'd be at like a billion, you'd be at like hundreds of billions of dollars Bitcoin if you followed the 2010 trend. <laughs> so that we're off that trend, unfortunately. Yeah. But here, um, you know, 600,000. And if you look at the two sigma up move, 3.8 million per Bitcoin. So not bad. <laughs> Hodl on. Not financial advice. Yeah, of course. But at at 3.8 per Bitcoin, you have like such societal shifts yeah. that would have to occur as well to be there. Like we haven't really had to have societal shifts to get to any of the numbers right now. We've had speculative interest and, you know, financialization and stuff. But at a certain point, it becomes such a big asset class that it's like really changing yeah. global economics, which is cool, right? It's really interesting to think about we're closer to that than maybe we are far yeah. from the beginning. I don't know. It's, um, it's actually uh, on 600. I don't know what the two Sigma up is. I mean, I guess you could just do the multiple of 3.8 million divided by 200, or sorry, 600,000. But at 600,000, uh, do my math quickly. Is it three trillion? Is it uh, 30 trillion or 20 trillion? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's market cap. It's 20 to 30 cap. trillion, let's say. Uh, yeah. I should be able to do that in my head, right? It's, it's, or is it 18 trillion? I'm pulling up the old calculator. 600,000 uh, times 21 million. Only 12. Am I doing that right? 12 trillion? 12 trillion. Yeah. So um that's like the size of gold now so on the one hand i hear what you're saying but on the other it's actually not that big compared to something like gold but uh, well at 600 uh, yeah exactly at very true million. so what's uh 3.8 divided by 600,000? that's a multiple of six so yeah then you're up to like the 60 70 80 trillion dollar asset class and then yeah it is and i I agree with you though. I mean, like that, yeah, yeah, uh, that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. <sighs> I've been more cautious over the years following Bitcoin as long as, as I have, I'm sure you guys are the same, but you know, I, I was like super, I was super excited at the early years and especially 2017. I thought there was going to be a just big runs and wasn't li really looking at this analysis enough, things like this to sort of dampen the enthusiasm or at least be, make it more realistic. But I don't know if things keep getting as bad as they do. Um, and, you know, people really might need a spot to, to look at their, you know, to hold their assets. I wonder if you might have this sort of hyper Bitcoinization scenario, which I should say is not really charted here, right? Like this is a pretty gradual standard, as we said, you know, getting to somewhere around gold's market cap or a little bit above that by the end of the decade. I think that if you have this like real hyper Bitcoinization moment, uh, yeah, you, I mean that, then it, then this thing could look completely different. This could just, you might have that three, $4 million for Bitcoin. And, and then there's like no going back. And there's like real big societal changes, but I don't know the way that things look around the world. Maybe we will get there sooner than later. I don't know. Any thoughts? 
it's too big, too macro, too too global of a topic. Well, maybe it's time to talk about the technical issues, which might prevent that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So uh, you're the you're the man to take us there, Michelle. Which which one do you want to talk about over the last couple of months? There's been a variety of interesting. Well, ones. I guess we could start with lightning. Uh, if there was lightning. a that that not, not an attack, but a vulnerability disclosed by Antoine Riard in Lightning over all the implementations, and it's basically not fixable. It it requires a protocol change to be fixed, uh, but it's also very hard to exploit. Um, I won't go into the technical details because it's way above my pay grade. Uh, but basically you could like <clears throat> coordinate an attack between two channels and the relay to drain the money from the relay. Um, it's, it's well explained by in mono notes on, uh, on Twitter. And there is also a medium article about that, uh, which explains it with pictures, but yeah, basically, uh, that adds to the many what I consider being disappointments of Lightning, like we are going to a growing centralization, custodiality of Lightning and uh, and then real technical issues that might just uh, compromise the protocol entirely. Uh, and I don't really see an alternative like any other second layer so far that could replace it. What about uh, something like Fediment? I guess they're mostly reliable. Yeah, that, that's like orthogonal. Anyway. It, it, it's, it can be used completely like offline and off chain. So, yeah, it kind of solves some issues, right. but you still have to like uh, enter and exit from the from the federation itself. So, uh, yeah, it's either joy, it's kind of like if you don't have lightning, and I'm not saying it won't happen, but if you don't have lightning, it's, it's kind of like basically a distributed banking type structure where yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's, you really it's, want to get that uh, on, on Bitcoin basically, uh, but with a yeah. federation based, uh, uh, trust. So you, you trust your federation. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there is L2. I have no idea how was the status of L2 right now. Uh, there was that other lighting alternative i already forgot the name because it like made the buzz on 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 the social media for a few days and then disappeared <laughs> nobody's talking about it anymore so yeah um, as a user i'm using lightning only in a custodial fashion uh, as a as a sender and uh, as a merchant i have one node which is like with one big channel with a huge routing node and then that's it. Um, yeah. Many attempts to, to run a through lightning network with many nodes like uh, ring type structures and, and many satellite nodes uh, failed. So no, not, not trying that anymore. And when I see other people like trying to use things like Phoenix, uh, it's basically good for spending, very bad for receiving. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not easy, and and users still don't understand like why you need to open the channel. Like most asked question when someone installs a Lightning wallet is okay. So now how I receive? Well, you need someone to open the channel to you. Uh, yeah, so custodial 
wallets solve that problem because they have incoming capacity. Um, yeah. There is this Swiss Bitcoin Pay, I believe, uh, which is basically a custodial payment processor for merchants, and they also have uh, NFC cards to spend. But it's only accounts on an LNB. It's one big centralized node. So as as long as you use it as the basically a layer three, which is a database on top of Lightning, uh, it works. But if you want like each user to have their own nodes, uh, I think that that's a model that will never work. So and it's like you said, it's unfixable. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that, that's been demonstrated well, th as well. This issue is still very hard to exploit, but uh, so the way, for example, uh, Eclair, uh, which is the, uh, the other wallet of uh, the company who makes Phoenix, which is Async, um, what they do is they monitor all the mempool action around their channels and they just rebroadcast uh, transactions as soon as they see any attempts to exploit it. Uh, that's Today, that's the only way. And like you have to rebroadcast the transactions with increasing fees each time. So basically, like, the first one to to have no money left gives up. <laughs> so by yeah. rebroadcasting, yeah. as soon as you see the, the attacking the transaction in the mempool, you have to overwrite it with the with a legitimate one with higher fees. Oh, interesting. So you couldn't you just use the attack to like force someone to spend? Yeah, a lot spend, spend a lot and basically too. waste it in mining fees. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you were if you were doing a lot of transactions, uh, I, are you guys out. using a lot of Lightning? No, and I uh, Not often I wanted to run that actually by uh, Henrik from uh, formerly Ellen Capital, mm -hmm. now Torque, because they were. But uh, you know, I think he's probably going to have the same. Uh, expectations is that you're having i mean uh and anyway the i see this i, I again as, as a non-technical person speaking like if this bug is managed or fixed or whatever it's still something that's only going to add to centralization mm -hmm. probably right probably based on how you know aggressive with liquidity you have to be to sort of stop stop the attack I don't know if I'm, if that completely follows, uh, if like retail people can, can, can work through this, but again, it's just another reason why everybody's using wallet of Satoshi, which is depressing yeah. a little bit. And then putting aside any technical issues, I know many lightning related projects that just run out of funding and stop uh, developing them. So it's like either you're in the, in the VC, uh, Silicon Valley style, uh, funding club that you just raise for for paying your company and raise again and raise again uh, either you, you just die if you want to make a profitable business just from the from selling your service well i mean hopefully you can work through it and maybe there'll be some other breakthroughs that can come because of that but uh, i don't I, you know i've said this a lot i don't know what you guys think i'm, I'm not necessarily opposed to people using custodial solutions to scale like 
considering just how finance has always worked in the past. But uh, what cannot be centralized for sure is the way that on-chain transactions work. And if on-chain transactions become so expensive as we see every time, even just during simple bull runs, and now we have the ordinal stuff on top of it, um, that's like a big yeah. risk, I think, in the future because it's the, the only time the fees go back down is just when the rest of the mainstream forgets about it. And uh, if they haven't, then you might as well just keep you know, trading on your exchange or something because you know, that's the best way to avoid fees is just not <laughs> using an on-chain payment. So, so. You, you mentioned Wallet of Satoshi. Uh, I, I found the tweet I was looking for. So Wallet of Satoshi was pulled from the Google and iOS app stores in the US. Uh, they posted a pretty mm. long tweet about it, but without uh, any explanation. And uh, people mentioned in comments that it's probably related to some regulatory problems. Um, I have no idea what, what exactly it can be, but yeah. So even in the in the custodial yeah. side, things don't go very well. Yeah, well, that's another topic I want to chat about. And Alec, I don't know if you've been following that anymore, but it seems everything's going fully draconian. Elizabeth Warren is not deterred. Uh, they're just going to keep coming after anything that they can do. It's just host hosted wallets term, which is a hilarious term, right? But if if you have a hosted wallet, then uh, you better do some KYC on it or someone better do some KYC on you, which again, just gets back to this depressing loop that we're in and uh, it's just vicious. They're just going to keep coming. Yeah. I, so I, I agree with that in principle. I, I also think that the fact that like we could take Elizabeth Warren or, you know, others, they just keep throwing arguments at the mm. wall. Um, like they haven't found a winning argument. So, um, you know, there was like the energy consumption and then funding Hamas and then funding North Korea. And it, I don't think anyone, like you lose credibility, the more you just keep coming up with arguments. Um, I think they would have been more compelling if they had found one or two arguments and really mm. stuck with them for a couple of years. So, um, I just don't think the evidence lines up with the, the claims. And I do think the community has done a really good job of being vocal and disabusing, you know, some of these more ridiculous claims or the ones that are overstated. They may be factual, but they're wildly overstated, right? So maybe some Bitcoin did go to fund Hamas, but, you know, we found it wasn't, I forget what they claimed, right? Like $22 million. And they found that it was actually like, yeah, Nick, Nick Carter something. did a deep dive um, on that, but I can't remember exact numbers. I mean, uh, there was still, yeah. It was a huge delta, right? So the, the underlying fact was true. Some money got to them, right? But it was it was so little that they stopped trying to collect in Bitcoin because it wasn't worth the effort. Well, what do you feel about the whole prospects of regulation around Bitcoin in the next three to five years? Are you still pretty optimistic then? You think the community is handling it uh, well? Uh, because I don't know, it could just be the way that the Twitter algos push things to make me mad or sad. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I was just reading things from Coin Center and reading things from I don't know, all over the Twitter sphere, right on on regs, regs, and it it's just yeah, like you said, it's the same old arguments, but 
they're going to keep throwing them at us. Um, I think, so I think the irreversible trend is as like sort of a certain generation of politicians ages out, the newer crop is going to be much more yeah. pro crypto. So like the Warren cohort could have a win and it could like be a 10 year damper, you know, before someone comes in or some, you know, younger cohort comes in to reverse it. That, that I think is possible. I don't think the long-term trend is towards regulating yeah. Bitcoin to death. Um, I, I, there's too many people that own Bitcoin and a lot of people that are younger have some idea of the philosophy behind it. They might not be you know, entrenched in it, but they have some idea of that philosophy. Um, and I do think the community does a pretty good job of, so it's not like, oh, we just sit back and, you know, let, let the destiny yeah. arrive. Like there's yeah. a lot of fighting that goes on um, and, you know, political lobbying uh, and the fortunate cases of people in power who have kids who are talking to them at the dinner table. Like we hear that all the time. Even Jamie Dimon just said it. You know, he, he said one of the first times he came out against Bitcoin, his daughter texted him the next day and was like, Hey, I, I own. Was there, is there Bitcoin. an update to that story? Cause that's, um, that's an old one, but I remember. It, it just came up again. Cause he was, you know, out on his, um, oh, Bitcoin rants again okay. yesterday. Well, and he's still, he's still uh, ranting the same. John Carlo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, totally same. Yeah. Uh, he said if he was in power, you know, politically, he would ban Bitcoin. Yeah, or, as he would, being yeah. CEO of a <laughs> most successful bank in America. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, just like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Self-interest. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't think the long-term trend is towards over-regulation of crypto. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm definitely uh, too fatalistic about that or that the U.S. can control all because I think this is another thing that will be interesting over the next few years is the U.S. is probably going to have to realize that they can't really control everything here. And if anything, they're just annoying their trading partners with all of these regulations, even well beyond the scope of Bitcoin and crypto, right? I mean, that's just it's the same old stuff. Uh, some draconian things that the Treasury likes to do. Um, which I can tell you I've noticed just being an American living abroad for many years now. And mm. it's, well, it's like just what? the reporting, you know, like whether you're an American citizen or certainly yeah. an American business overseas, I mean, you're basically completely beholden still to the U S treasury. Even if you're a foreign business with an American owner, uh, the reporting levels just go through the roof and, um, yeah. it's just very it's very onerous. And so whether it's a simple thing, like if you're an American overseas and the bank that's banking you says, well, all right, I'm just not going to do it. I'd just rather close your account since you're American than deal with the reporting that your treasury wants me to do, which has been happening uh, a lot for many, many years. Uh, or um, the businesses just say, well, we're, we're going to start not doing business with America, you know, which is bigger, which is a big, much bigger uh, sort of repercussion than any sort of individual complaining. So I think the they're still pretty draconian. 
about all of that. And I don't know if you saw this stuff. I saw Peter Schiff tweet about it, but there's all this things now that are happening with uh, unrealized gains that they might try to want to tax businesses and stuff. Okay, this again, a bit of a tangential topic to what uh, American companies and individuals overseas, but I don't know. The Leviathan just keeps growing in the U.S. and it seems like a lot of interests want to pull away from it or at least just get it back, you know, down to something more normal and more historical and not being so aggressive uh, with everything. Um, I, I, have to, I have to imagine it's, just, it's not going to be acceptable to partner nations of the U.S., even the trading nations of the U.S. Uh, I just think that the U.S. won't get its way there. It seems to me. Yeah, I saw the untaxed gains things came came up again. That's come up before because it it feels like a piggy bank, you know. Um, It's such a moronical idea. I I don't think it's ever really gotten any like real traction. Uh, It's I. It would be better if it never came up at all, uh, for sure. And I think the risk is you combine the narrative of this like wealth transfer from, you know, the boomer generation down, you know, largest wealth transfer ever with the fact that a large portion of that wealth transfer will be in unrealized gains uh, as, you know, portfolios are handed down generationally. That's the perfect time for that argument for sure. Um, And it's the perfect time for, you know, looking at, the government capitalizing in new ways on debt taxes and um, and the state uh, taxes, but the unrealized gains part it just like so counterproductive to economic growth. I, Spain Spain has it. Does France have it, Michelle? An unrealized tax. So if you don't even sell, but you want to take the value of your assets and take a very small. If you percentage. want to so leave the country, you have to pay the unrealized gains tax. Yeah. Yeah. We have that too. We have but, that too. But even that if part. you don't want to leave just every no, year. No, no, no. It's only it's survey only your you assets. Leave. Okay. So Spain has Spain it. Has it. They and have I think actual... other countries have it. Like even some you might not expect. Maybe even Holland has it like to a small. It's not like a massive percent because it, you know, kind of can't be without mm. bankrupting you. Well, you you have but, the um... uh, I don't know how to translate that. The fortune tax, which is like if you own more than X million euros amount of assets, then you pay a percentage on it. So, you, that's so not, you have it. That is that, what they're talking about. That, so that's not what we call unrealized uh, gains tax. Unrealized gains tax for us is uh, if I own shares in a company and that company could potentially in the five next years be worth much more, and I want to leave the country, then I have to pay a tax on the hypothetical future value of the company. Oh, that that sounds yeah. even more more really? controversial. No, no, we're talking more about the fortune tax, wow. and it would be the same mm-hmm. in the U.S. It would be a fortune, like big companies, big business, big big you know rich individuals, billionaires, whatever, to start. That's but that's all they always started, and then of course, it would come down to uh, the plebes as well. So uh, I don't know the interest because. <laughs> oh, I have my plea pad on. Can you nice. see that? This is my plea pad. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the intricacies of Spain, but uh, if it, I, I presume it's there's thresholds and stuff, and it's you know, 
as most countries, right? Like most people don't even pay taxes anyway. It's just the, the wealthy that file and pay. But anyway, that's a, that's a more annoying topic <laughs> that we got ourselves onto, isn't it? Uh, what else, guys? Wait, let's go back to this not paying taxes. <laughs> where, where, where do I go to be that? Yeah, never trust, especially if you're an American, right. never trust the tax accountant that tells you uh, you don't have to file, you don't have to pay. Yeah. Does not way, exist. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, our accountant is like gleeful with how much taxes we pay. It, it <laughs> seems to make him really happy every time he denies us any kind of like wiggle room. Uh, so somehow I think he yeah. enjoys it. Um, should I should I show the old national debt one just to show you how ludicrous it all is anyway? Here, let's. Uh, yeah, why not ruin the day early? This one might not be updated. All right, here we go. Uh, let's not do it in log. Let's zoom in. Let's take the central bank out. Zoom in. So this is, I haven't updated this actually since until first quarter, but still you get the idea. I mean, just talk about, whoops, talk about, you know, governments getting out of control and reining in things back to normal times. It's just, I just never see it, fellas, at least in the U.S.'s case. And I'm pretty sure in every other country's case is no matter what anybody says. And remember, I think I've said this in an earlier up with you guys, like this cresting here, this was Bill Clinton's famous yeah. <laughs> balancing of the budget. But other than that, man, it's just off to the races. The Fed buys more and more. It's trying to it's trying to shed a little bit of that now. Um, I mean, it is a material. Is the darker no, green? No, the darker green too. is the Fed's portion. Yeah, sorry, I should have pointed out the Fed. That's the Fed's oh, portion of the national debt. So it is, as a percentage wise, uh, was highest during COVID, almost thirty percent. Now it's dropping. And it will drop a little bit more in the last six months, somewhere cl closer to 20%. So it it's like 28, it dropped five percentage points. Oh. It's probably closer to 20 <laughs> now. And, uh, you know, you saw that as well after the, the three big, you see this QE one, two, and three, you can kind of see that monetization of the debt, basically printing money to buy us treasuries. And they try to normalize that back down to until the start of COVID, it got down to like 15% from over 20. So they will always try, but this is the one where I do, this chart does make me kind of fatalist and it's just like, man, we need an asset like Bitcoin to protect us because they're just going to keep trying. And they're going to keep making you feel bad um, to pay those taxes, Alex. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was already feeling bad. Uh, are you following the Chinese debt? Like the uh, state and local debt? No, I need to get that charted up. I will soon. There's yeah, that of control I mean, as well. Uh, and it's a bad debt, as far as I understand. Yeah, well, this morning, you know, I read something on the internet. So take it for what it's worth. But it was the claim. It was like a decent... Uh, source, I just can't remember what it was, um, that they have 13 trillion in like state and local or their equivalent of state and local 
debt. Uh, which is like, it that's could be, not national. Yeah, no, debt, state and local right? is not national. And they, I mean, they have, well, they've tried to do all these distributed government things, I guess, since the 70s, because they were so, but now that's turning around. The G, like, is trying to centralize things again. But um, they, they just have these cities, man. They just have massive cities, which is literally empty buildings <laughs> that no one has lived in. I know you guys have heard those stories, but it's just, it's not, you know, all the evergreen stuff. Like, that's not. Yeah, and the, the EV graveyards as well. Like we produce tons yeah. of cars which yeah. are never used just to get tax benefits. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't see that. But they're trying to recycle those. They're they're Uh, not recycling the batteries from those cars. I don't know. Just throwing them in. (laughs) They're just burning them. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's wild. Oh, it was because Moody's cut the um, rating. Cut their like rating outlook. Yeah, to negative, Mm. Uh, and that's where the debt numbers came from. So it was like yeah. a decent, and I got to get source. the interest payments versus the revenues charted up. But I mean, soon it's not a hundred percent of it, but you're gonna, you know, it's you're gonna have a huge portion, like maybe fifty percent, very soon. Maybe it already is of interest, and, and that's only what they admit to, to right? It's interest. not like the real numbers. Yeah, it's actually that's true because you have the unfunded liabilities, which, uh, you know, it's just through the roof. So do the Chinese post like actual central bank data? Uh, they do. They do. Yep. They do. I'll show you. Does it? Yeah, to your point, uh, Keto, I, I wonder, you know, like to what extent do we consider that accurate? Uh, I would definitely say should be kind of skeptical, but there are a lot of people that also cross uh, sort of triangulate different different things like what they think yeah. they've sold to china or what they know they've sold whether it's europe or japan or the us and at least from a central bank level i think it's probably more or less accurate but as far well, as all the on other a scale stuff, from zero to dead. covid numbers in china how accurate is it <laughs> <laughs> so here's the so i just did the the third quarter update right and here's oops i gotta do it on the actual chart don't i here's the uh chinese debt the world take off so china is uh you know one fifth they all are basically one fifth and then uh, the, the the big four and then the rest of the total debt so you see that the peak here was close to 30 trillion now it's down to uh 26 trillion china has 5 trillion of that as base base money that they printed that's the notes and coins is also the reserves that banks have with the central bank it's just like the number that compares most to Bitcoin. And yeah, everybody's really trying to cut back because of all these high inflation numbers, which of course are going to happen after you have massive money printing from COVID. Uh, so they really have been trying to rein it down. But I will note, you know, even as of September 2023, and look at, I'm looking at the dark black line here now. Let's take off the top five percentage. The dark black line, you know, you're still only back to October 2020 levels. So it's not like, you know, if you wanted to take it back to pre-COVID levels, you'd have to get to 20 trillion. And again, we're at 26 trillion 
in uh, total central bank money around the world that's being printed. That's the top 50 currencies in the world. So, you know, it's just, it's massive stuff. Again, the dollar here, this is US dollar monetary base, another fifth. Look at Euro. You know, Christine Lagarde acting like she's <laughs> going to normalize that thing. Not a chance. And then Japan, as always, they're like the professional money printers. They've done it faster than anybody. Uh, th they're <laughs> in dollar equivalent. And this is the other interesting thing, actually, because it's uh, what's the Wittgenstein? It's Wittgenstein's ruler, right? It's hard to I'm showing you these local currencies, but in dollar terms. So keep that in mind. This is kind of interesting. If I look at everything non-dollar, right? Uh, it is true that the rate of growth of this money is decreased, or it's, it's actually like roughly like flat. You say it's 0% year on year, but it looks down because they've lost value to the dollar. See what I mean? So they're, mm -hmm. they're really not slowing mm -hmm. the money printing that too. They, they are slowing it. This is why interest rates are going up. They are slowing. But the, really what hits them is they lose value to the dollar which is also interesting. So you can see that those three together, you know, six, five, seven trillion, you know, 18 trillion here at the peak. And then now they're down to what, five, five, 15. Yeah, so losing like three trillion collectively. But most of that, in fact, almost all of that is not because they're actually decreasing the money printer. It's because they've just lost value to the dollar, which is an interesting phenomenon. Mm. Dollar, add the dollar, and you had British pounds, about a trillion pounds worth of monetary base. It's not that much. And that's the top five currencies in the world. And the rest, fill in the gap there. Sure. So that is the Bitcoin number, my friends, 26 trillion. And what would you say at the top of the show? So 12 trillion is uh, 600,000. That's the, by the end of the decade, 12 trillion, if we stay on that $600,000 path that still won't even take you to half of what we have here so uh, but 12 trillion would be huge and like you said you get up to 50 60 trillion then you're you're basically in global money territory so are we gonna have a bitcoin trillionaire before we have an ai trillionaire Good question did you guys follow what happened? Not to dodge your question, but did you follow what happened with the open AI, with all that craziness? Yeah. Uh, with interest, uh, you know, I don't have an What did they say? The fact that he came back, uh, that he was brought back on, it's just basically employees wanted him back on. and Yeah. So 700 of the 770 uh, employees basically said, we're going to go yeah. with Sam to Microsoft um, if he's not reinstated. It came out later that supposedly some people, the employees felt coerced into that. Um, and they were due some kind of like, um, there was some kind of option distribution or they had some financial upside to stay um, based on the pending allocation. So it wouldn't have been great for them to go to Microsoft yeah. personally, financially. Um, I was much more intrigued by the... You know, what is it about this like Q development that scared mm -hmm. Ilya? If that's what happened, because uh, supposedly it does math. Um, so LLMs, right, have been predicated on language, and this is a math-based uh, 
AI. And so, you know, is it like, is it, does it break cryptography, right? Like what, what does it enable that scared someone yeah. that I find interesting? Did you read any interesting, uh, hypotheses? Like why the, why the board kicked him out? Uh, <laughs> well, breaking all cryptography yeah. would be one, uh, we'll get there with quantum anyway. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's so poorly handled by that board. Um, I don't know. I'll just wait till yeah. the Netflix special, but I yeah. can't wait to find out what actually happened. Great. No, it's pretty wild time. With all the AI stuff. Does it scare you? Well, I mean, what do you guys think? No real opinion, but uh, I don't know. What do you think, Michelle? Does it scare you? All the I think what scares me is AGI, but I don't think we are close. Um... I think it is curious that old uh, Altman, you know, is behind WorldCoin. <laughs> yeah. You know they're going to come after that. We got to get that world <laughs> coin going. Does it have any traction? I, I mean, it's like I remember when they launched it. I was really going to be like, "Come on, Mister Altman, we got to get that world coin going. Screw Bitcoin." Yeah, I, I think other than in some third world <laughs> countries when it's pretty popular because you get some coins when you register on the orb, uh, it has no traction. This is like the most yeah. creepy yeah. thing. But are people like transacting idea. in it? What does it do for you? Puts yeah. you in a database. That's for sure. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Any uh, thoughts on uh, Signal, Alec, for the uh, our privacy portion of the show? You sent us an inter interesting article about um, the the or the origins of Signal we, we and can... the funding behind Signal, which uh, we had all suspected. But uh, I guess was it the first time it was made public? Is that true? I don't know. This is the first time I had read, like, and we can put the article in the show notes, and I don't know anything about the author. It's, you know, a Substack uh, blog post, but uh, it is an investigative um, piece on where the funding for the Open Whisper Foundation has come from over time, you know, since its inception, really. And I thought the inception part of the argument was interesting because, you know, someone had to get it off mm -hmm. the ground. Uh, and what the author contends is that, you know, through cutouts and um aligned interests it was really the cia that funded it now uh and the the argument there is that the cia sees an advantage in there being a open source widely available secure comms application that could be used to destabilize you know authoritarian states or you know the whole classic like government right. overthrow playbook um, it's, I, I mean, it's plausible, right? I don't know if it's true, but what I always come back to is even if it's not true, the fact that so many people use signal and consider it secure makes it the number one target for every intelligence agency on the planet to get into. Nothing would be better than getting into signal. So if you assume that, you know, GCHQ and the NSA and all of the other um, you know, adversarial or friendly or however you want to consider them intelligence agencies, they'd be looking to, you know, intercept key exchanges. They'd be looking to break, uh, uh, what's the double ratchet algorithm, right? Like anything they could do. And typically they've been successful in that in the past. So have, has it been cracked? I have no idea, but I would consider it like a great target to crack. And so that's why I've always considered it, you know, not 
not something that I would put like the crown jewels of my yeah. personal information into. What would you recommend uh, people use? Not Signal? Um, well, if you live in a city, you can get a pigeon <laughs> and just attach a message. Um, I don't know. Noted. So my, my personal philosophy is, so I am interested in like where the developer team come from and where the project at least purports to be domiciled, right? So not that like domiciling is any indication of trustworthiness, but it's some indication of of the interest of the team and the kind of cultural background of the team. So that's interesting to me. Two, not using the same messaging app for everything, right? So spread it out across different messaging apps. And some of that is just happening through like the balkanization of secure comms, right? You have people from different countries, you know, use different apps or like like the Bitcoin community, like certain applications. And um, so you're kind of forced into having a bunch of different commercial messaging apps or CMAs. Um, my default one is still matrix, um, because of the decentralization of, of the nodes. I don't know if it's like, I don't have the technical expertise to assess whether their cryptography is better than anyone else's, but what I've seen of third party assessments is it's really requires a malicious node to execute any of the attacks that have been publicized. Uh, and so because you can run your own node versus with all the other messaging apps that I'm aware of, they, you have to rely on them, signal included. Um, then it gives you a small bit of increased autonomy. And so yeah. I like that. And it's also like, um, at some point you just have to go to the easiest, most practical thing and do what's best for you because kind of going back to these large topics that we always get to, whether it's regulation or war or cryptography breaking. <laughs> I mean, you know, at some point you just gotta, you gotta just say, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to use. This is going to help. But it, it is kind of daunting. I can no doubt say, I mean, still for me as a non-technical person, but for someone that's like new coming into the space or someone that wants to try to get up to snuff with their security protocol. And I know that's what you help people do, but um, I don't know. It's just almost like too crazy. Like this AI stuff well, that you're just talking about. Like if, uh, you know, the next AI thing could break encryption. You just gotta, you just gotta say it's too much at some point. <laughs> it reminds me of that movie from the early nineties, <laughs> Sneakers, uh, um, which is a, it's an awesome like hacker, a very good movie. movie with Robert Redford. So good. Um. But the, like the premise of that movie is that someone had developed, a, you know, a way to mm -hmm. break all cryptography and, and what that would mean. Uh, and there was, you know, Ben Kingsley plays the. He, so they make him out to kind of be a bad guy, but there's a sort of subtext about whether breaking all cryptography is good or bad, right? You know, uh, and they have this entity they refer to as C Tech Astronomy, which is just an anagram for. Yeah. Is anagram the right word? Right, you move the letters around, and it becomes no more hmm. secrets. Um, Forgot that part. Such a good yeah. movie. But nice. so, like, and I, I think it's like two different questions, right? So, are intelligence agencies interested in breaking Signal or any other application? Probably, for for sure, they're interested. Have they? Who knows? But uh, do those applications protect you from things like Verizon or Orange 
being able to hand over your text. Yeah, they do. Um, so there's definite value to them. And I, what I'm just talking, I'm talking about more of an esoteric, like extreme case, but for day to day, like, you know, they do protect you from certain types of intrusions. So yeah, there's, there's great value in using them over, over just being like, ah, they all, I don't know which one. Yeah, no, to totally. To SMS. Yeah, that's, totally. That's your worst. Definitely choice. agree with that. I think that's a very good. Speaking of which, have you seen there is a company that released an app, which is a native implementation of iMessage on Android. So now Android users can pull, can send blue bubbles instead of SMS. Yeah. Nice. They, they used to run it like as a cloud service because you had to register an Apple account and they were basically just uh, running proxies on Macs in a data center. And they now they just reverse engineered the whole protocol and the app runs natively, no Apple account required. So Apple trusts Apparently. the encryption. And also, I, I've just seen like yesterday that Apple uh, agreed to enable that. this new protocol that is interoperable between uh, messaging apps. I don't remember the name, but uh, yeah, basically you're, you'll be able to send end-to-end encrypted messages from your native messages app to anyone now. Yeah. To any, to other messaging applications? Uh, like to other, to like to WhatsApp and... You you probably just mean still that I'm... Uh, just like, no, no, no. It's like right. a cross-vendor protocol that... I, I I wonder if it's not a requirement in the EU now. Um, just a sec, I will try to find it real quick. Because mm. hmm. Matrix has what they call bridges, um, which is either like proxies or puppets that allow you to... Um, bridge just for not for voice just for messaging into some like into skype and telegram and how would that work WhatsApp. in telegram like what would the telegram people see uh they, they they're not witting like it just looks like a regular telegram message right but uh would is it because telegram is one of the companies that yeah would, would uh not necessarily trust with all my info let's say but they uh, if you're on Matrix bridging into Telegram, what does the tel like the Telegram uh, servers, the servers that are owned by Telegram, would they see? Yeah, it's some kind of like proxy between your from inside of your let's say you're using Element or right. there's a lot of different Matrix right. messaging or apps, right? But Element being the most common you're inside of element and you kind of credential from within element into the bridge which then is a proxy into your telegram account so i, I don't know okay. what it looks like to telegram but they allow you to authenticate yeah. in um it's like almost yeah like a so it's really it's probably account. just you're still not you're still getting the same privacy level of telegram if you use something like a bridge right yeah it's not like it's 100%. protecting you yeah it's a it's just purely convenience. a convenience yeah. it's not like it's protecting you in any way yeah, that's what I was getting at, I guess. No, in my no, yeah, you're beholden to yeah. wherever you're bridging into. Um, so it's not like it brings you know matrix level of encryption. Um, but they call their yeah. cryptography ohm. It doesn't bring. So it's in. called RCS. Um, should I just lost a bit? Yeah. So um, Apple says iPhones will support RCS in 2024. Um. Yeah, I will just send the link. Maybe you can include it in some show notes or something. 
and I'm trying to find that app yeah. on Android. Um, so I'm wondering if part of this is because um, cross-border SMS or cross-telco like SMS is not a super reliable backend. Um, and so if you can switch to pure data as opposed to relying on SMS. Yeah, and cross-border SMS is crazy expensive reliable. as well. Unless you're right. yeah. yeah, it's expensive and it um, typically is mm. governed by a standard called best effort, which means like if I'm trying to text you SMS in France, right? It's like, hey, we tried to give it to yeah. them, but we, all we can do is hand it to the local telco. And then, and that's why you receive it sometimes without like the actual correct caller ID. Sometimes it comes in as a short code, like it just depends on a variety of things. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and MMS is even worse because it's like costs you both the transport for like from the telco and the data. Yeah, well, and at least SMS has like uh, it's sort of a much more understood quantity of data versus MMS. You know, you can be sending files or you know large images and. Um, the billing on the back end of that apparently is very complicated. So would this beeper protocol probably just bring you convenience as well? Not really uh, privacy, presumably. I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll link it and uh, definitely let our listeners. Yeah, I'd love to know. I'd actually yeah. love to know more. Michelle, do you think it's spamming the blockchain to do ordinal transactions or no? It's not an easy yeah, it's not easy. So I I agree with the fact that it's in it's an inconvenience for other users uh, because of the fees we have to pay. Uh, I don't agree with any kind of way to prevent it because uh, that's against Bitcoin ethos. Um, that's that's my yeah. position on it, I guess. Yeah, and it. I haven't been following it super closely, but it seems that if the ocean protocol is going to go that route where they, I think some of the, I saw our friend, Seth, Seth for privacy was making a lot of, uh, you know, posts about it. You probably saw that Alec, but yeah, I guess if the main mm -hmm. concern that he has was the fact that they're not transparently doing that, it's kind of even a separate issue. I mean, maybe that maybe they would even gain traction. They would gain hash in their pool if they maybe sort of publicize that more. But again, I, I, I'm not following it close enough to see if that's even the real issue, but it seemed like that was somehow an issue that uh, people just couldn't agree on what they were and weren't. Uh, maybe censoring is not the right word, but filtering. Yeah, I, I really haven't. Uh, I haven't seen the, the transparency issue yet uh, discussion, but uh, basically, what I, my understanding is that they're running Bitcoin nodes, which filters out uh, transaction based on the size of a payload or a part of the payload. And uh, from what I read from somewhere I wanted is that they don't even respect the like maximum size, which is set in uh, Bitcoin Core, which is like 83 bytes. They do like 40 bytes instead. So even some legitimate users, assuming that ordinals are not one, uh, are penalized by that. Uh, mm. But yeah, that's a lot of if. So maybe until next 
show I will be able to research it more yeah. and have a better understanding. Yeah, and I'm sure the landscape will develop there. But um, it is interesting to see. I mean, we've been through this before in certain ways about what gets through and what doesn't. Yeah, it reminds a lot of the block phase debate, to... but in a much yeah. lesser extent and less noisy. Yeah. And uh, it seems that privacy, not just user preferences, but privacy will also be a component of some of the stuff as we go on in the future. The, uh, I think you were mentioning, Michelle, when we talked before about how just the the KYC aspect of mining pools is a bit depressing. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing too. Like uh, that also not verified, but uh, I read recently that more than 50% of the mining capacity uh, is owned by KYC pools. So yeah, so the mine Bitcoin are not non-KYC actually. Like the, the dream of if you want clean or non-KYC coins, just mine them yourself. Uh, if you're using one of these pools, that's not true. And I mean, you could always leave the pool, but uh, if those pools... Yeah, but then what's the alternative? Like, like go to Ocean Mining, which allegedly sends those transactions. <laughs> <laughs> you're painting such a happy picture <laughs> as we close here for Friday. <laughs> so I have a philosophical question to close on this. Is... If, let's say like the just the future of Bitcoin is predominantly KYC. Um, is a Bitcoin that's KYC better than the current system, or is it worse, worse because it's so traceable? Way worse, in and, my opinion. Way worse. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's your that's the it's mining in secret. I think that uh, allows the system to be resilient. At the end of the day, hmm. I mean, you still could have. Uh, state actors come in and take you know they, they know where riot is and they you know know where the ant miners are in general right but um you know in china or something and they have cracked down in china right but and that is definitely an attack like where you when you know where the biggest mining rigs are and the biggest setup like that is absolutely a a real attack that the state can just come in and take your hardware that's for sure uh but to not have the ability to mine in secrets I think that would be the, again, I don't want to say the death knell because I'm certainly not, I'm never going to bet against Bitcoin, never, but um, because it's just too much fun not to, let's say. But the, yeah, I think if you cannot mine in secret, uh, that's 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 really bad. Uh, I would say if, if we have fully QIC yeah, agree, Bitcoin, but... it's still a very good alternative to things like Swift uh, for interbank and interstate exchange. Mm. But, yeah, but it's not a, just not a end user thing anymore. Yeah, and we haven't seen this idea of a of even going back to forgetting if it's uh, the the Coinbase transaction is from a KYC KYC pool or not. We still have not seen even with you know like Wasabi or Samurai uh, mixed UTXOs wherever they may be join, join market. We haven't seen like dual markets mm. uh, arise. From mixed UTXs. Yeah, and I, I know our experiences are pretty opposite, but my experience with mixed coins is actually pretty positive, even on exchanges. Uh, yeah. Which is interesting. The, interesting the two times I got there. my Kraken accounts closed is when I sent not mixed transactions. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting stuff. And then we know where they're going. I mean, uh, even guys, you know, in my, in my view, the good guys like Jesse Powell, I mean, he's just, he knows he can't not do that. Uh, so the KYC for sure is coming with exchanges. Unfortunately, it's coming from miners. But um, I just, I just, we, we cannot get to that point where like even a, a young, bright entrepreneurial teenager who wants to spend a little bit of his parents' money on his own project and he wants to use Bitcoin completely, you know, off the grid and anonymously, just like setting up his own web page. Like we just can never get to the point where, you know, I mean, you can't like use a wallet, a hosted wallet that's not, you know, that's, o that's only KYC by the government or approved by the government. That's a very bad mm -hmm. place to be. So I think we have to avoid that at all costs. Good enough then for this reunion episode, mm -hmm. my friends. Cheers. Great. Thanks for, uh, for joining. Glad we can be back together here as the uh, year comes to a close. And uh, not sure if we'll talk to you guys next week, but whenever we do, uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you, guys.